Hey, everybody. It's Lee and Jeff from MXU. What's up, everybody? Hey, we wanted to give you guys an update. We're working really hard to try and figure out our plans for live events for the rest of 2020 and 2021. Be on the lookout for an update on live events coming at you soon. And we're also continuing to record new content for MXU now. So if you haven't checked it out yet, please do so. Go to mxu.rocks and click the MXU Now link. Uh, we've actually lowered the prices. It's uh, cheaper than it's ever been for you to be a part of MXU now. Um, a single user can actually be a part of that for as low as $15 a month. And I believe, Jeff, we just cracked over 250 videos. And yeah, it's crazy. And yesterday, uh, myself and Brad Maddox just shot a handful more. So we're really excited about that. Uh, that's it for the update. Enjoy this episode. You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 34 of the MXU podcast. My name is Lee, and I'm here with my other three amigos. What's up, Jeff, Daniel, and we have a special guest who we'll introduce in a second. Hey, hey. Hey, guys. How you doing? I'm good. I'm grilling. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so what's the meat of the day? Uh, I have brisket. And As I have you should. A full packer. It's only choice, okay. though. It's not Wagyu or Prime. Um, and then in the fridge, I have a four-pound tomahawk. Four pounds? It's four pounds. <laughs> it's a snake and river or what? No, it's just I something I found at the butcher shop. They just had them. <laughs> it's like the pre-Father's Day. They stocked up everything. Nice. And I have an elk backstrap. Where'd you get that? At the butcher shop. They From had an elk, it. Jeff. You can, if it's imported from New Zealand, for some reason, you can purchase elk. Oh, wow. No kidding. Know New Zealand yeah. had elk. Yeah, well, they do, and they're big. Nice. Anyway, on to production things. We have a special guest. Daniel, why don't you introduce him? Yeah. Um, so, special guest, longtime friend of mine and Lee's. I guess we'll find out here in a minute. I believe uh, you kind of got your start at a uh, little bit working with Lee's Church, um, but now doing some uh, much bigger things that we're going to talk about as well. And it's our good friend, Brian Vaughn. Hi, everyone. Hey, round of applause. Yeah, Brian lives in Sacramento, where I live. I Sacramento is like the production hub number five, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd, it's I'd like, for it's that. online. It's like L.A., New York, Atlanta, Nashville, Sacramento. Sacramento. <laughs> I don't know. It feels weird to jump that right far. At, just ahead of Omaha. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, I'm in Bixby, so that's, what's that, like number 37? Know, yeah. Maybe, maybe, if we're lucky. Yeah. That actually, I, I think that may be a great place to start then, because I realize I don't even know the answer to this. Brian, did you get your start working with Bayside, or were you just already doing stuff and then kind of jumped into doing things with, with Bayside? Because I know that's where I first met you at. Yeah, so I started actually working for um, a church in El Dorado Hills, um, which is, you know, up the highway from downtown Sacramento. But um, started out in the youth group because I was just going to the youth group every week and, you know, started working, like, on the in the production side of that. Um, doing like, you know, just lighting for the youth group service every week and then doing like lighting for the youth group camps, like the two camps every year. Behold, 
How old were you at that point? Oh, what am I? 16. Okay. Yeah, 16, I think. And just saw saw the opportunity and thought it looked like something cool? Yeah, it was uh, one of my friends. He was doing it. He was doing the audio side already. Um, and we were on ski team together through high school. So he kind of, you know, um, invited me to come check it out. And then um, I did. And I'd always been like, I went to uh, a private Christian school from like preschool through eighth grade. Um, and we, uh, we had like, it was like the, the new service was called like generation G and it was like the, you know, the first time that you're like introducing screens and, you know, contemporary <laughs> music and not, you know, out of hymnals and stuff. So, um, I was always like looking and seeing how they were doing the production to that. And at that point it was just like a rollout cart into the middle of a you know gymnasium. Sure. But, you know, I'd always been interested in that and then, you know, kind of carried that interest into the church in Eldorado Hills. Um, yeah. And then it just kind of, you know, went through the youth group and just, you know, learned as much as I could and then ended up working for like the big church outside of, uh, outside of youth group. And then, yeah, just kind of went from there. I actually met you through Corey Edwards. That's how we met, right? Isn't that Yeah, right? I think so. Yeah. What was your connection to Corey? Was it C? C-O-I. C-O-I, yeah. yeah so, so you toured with him? Yeah, so Corey and I did C-I-Y together a few times, I think, like a couple of years. Um, and then that was when, uh, yeah, so I think Corey, you knew Corey before that. Yeah, I've known Corey since he was like 15. Yeah. Two years ago? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If he didn't still look like he was 21, I think he would be mad that we always think he's so young. But he's <laughs> he's like, only like 24. He's like 35 now. <laughs> it's that Asian skin. I know it's the Filipino. That's it. Um, He'll never. Yeah. Age. So we Corey was working with Bayside some, and he and I were doing some touring stuff together. And then he's in town, and then I think you just came over to hang out. Yeah, I think so. And the, Corey was like, "Hey, you guys should hire Brian to do stuff." I'm like, "Who's Brian?" Because typically, you know, we're in Sacramento, so at the time there weren't a lot of people who knew what the heck they were doing in Sacramento with production. Yeah. And then, you know, now it's a little different, like Jesus culture's here and Hillsong's about to be here. So there's a lot of like modern churches popping up in Sacramento, but then we ended up hiring you for something and we're like, Oh, this guy's really good. <laughs> yeah. My, I think my first base out event was the, um, the children's building reveal thing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We we did one of those big like remodels where, you know, they theme out every room. Mm-hmm. But we did like a drop the curtain, move the bus on around the building. Nice. And Extreme Brian, makeover Bayside edition. Yeah. And Brian came <laughs> and lit that. And then um, we had lights everywhere for that. <laughs> yeah, there were lights all over the building and outside and it was at night. It, that was cool. But then like every conference or big event we did since Brian was local it's like okay get Brian here so he Alec Corey Ben Walton all those guys kind of teamed up with stuff we did for quite a few years and then next thing I know Brian's on tour with Justin Timberlake (laughs) I was like (laughs) wait a second how he was working here at at church in Sacramento and next thing we know he's in the biggest tour in the world so that was cool so that's a good transition. Maybe we catch everybody up for those that, that don't know who you are to where you're at now, and then maybe fill in some of the gaps in between. Yeah, sure. Now, 
you're working with Fireplay. Tell us yep. some about that. So I'm one of the designers of Fireplay. Um, and for those so, that don't know, kind of tell us a little bit about what Fireplay is. Got it. So Fireplay is like a multidisciplinary um, design firm. So, you know, just creative design across, you know, all fronts. So it's, you know, we handle a bunch of, you know, country music clients all the way up to corporate events to, um, you know, promo stuff to the top pop tours. Um, you guys are working on some sp- sports stuff now that... Yeah, yeah, some sports, some sporting stuff. Yeah, a little bit of everything, like halftime shows. Like, you know, the same year that we were prepping for the latest um, Timberlake tour, we were also prepping for Timberlake's Super Bowl halftime show. Hmm. So we were doing rehearsals for both of those at the same time. So why don't you explain to everybody what a firm like Fireplay does? So if you're a band and you're going to go on tour next year, you engage a design firm. What do you guys actually do? So, you know, you know, once someone reaches out or, you know, we talk to someone, um, we start just a conversation of like, hey, like, what are you envisioning? Because a lot of the, a lot of the artists, a lot of the times will have something in their head about when they're when they're actually like recording the album of like, oh, this is how I want my live show to be. This is like the vibe and the feel that I want. Um, and that's really what we try to to get to, to understand like, okay, what, what are you looking to get out of this? And then, you know, we design for that. And, uh, you know, we prefer to design with them rather than for them. So it's like, I don't want to force like a design on them that they don't really love or they weren't really involved in. So it's like, I, I really enjoy the artists that, you know, are involved, have ideas and, you know, want to like collaborate to make something really cool together. Um, and that's kind of what we excel at. So then, you know, once we get out of the, like out of the design phase, we go into like, um, pre-production phase. So it's like, you know, coming up with all the lighting plots, all the design specs, all the video specs, all the video plots. And then we work hand in hand with whatever vendor that they're using to ensure like, so that it's just a second set of eyes on everything to make sure that everything is like right and what we need, we're getting the right tools and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then all the way through delivery. So then we'll spend, you know, X amount of days on site programming and creating the show with the artists. And then usually I'll go to like the first like three shows to make sure that they're like cool and comfortable. And then you guys are also responsible for staffing some of the tour. Uh, yes and no. Like if they don't have a LD that they, um, you know, use consistently, like I'll throw in like some names of like LDs that I trust and, you know, like that I would tour with. Um, and then, you know, if, if they, if they ask us for something, then for sure. But like, I wouldn't say that we're specifically like in charge of staffing. Gotcha. Like we'll definitely give recommendations on like awesome people that we've worked with in the past. Yeah. Um, and then let their, their team take it from there. That's really cool. So I have, I have a couple of questions. I mean, you know, Daniel alluded to it earlier. We need to fill in the gaps here because Tell us a little bit about how you go from, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old kid sitting behind a desk for the first time, just trying to figure out how all this stuff works to now production design for world-class events and concerts. Like in terms of the actual skill development, did you have a teacher, a mentor? Was it just turn it till it looks good and figure out what you like? Like talk to us about some of the development of your actual skill during that initial learning process? 
I would say like basically mentors are like the biggest part of how I got to where I am now. It's just like being able to lean on someone and ask, ask the questions that like you feel embarrassed to ask, you know, and they're like more than willing to share their like knowledge and expertise and stuff. Um, and I've had a lot of those throughout the years that I still I talk with like every week, almost like all of the mentors that helped me in my career. I still keep in contact with all of them and like I can I'm I'm still learning every day. Yeah. I would say. And like I never want to stop that. That's awesome. Well, with what you do, I mean new gear is coming out like every few months. So you you have mm-hmm. to, right? I mean, especially if some artist is like, I want whatever, life size ice cream sundaes to drop from the ceiling. <laughs> like something crazy. You yeah. have to know, oh, this product just came out and here's how this will work with automation and yeah, you have to be on top of all that. Yeah, it's like stuff. Yeah, it's a combination of like stuff you used in the past or like stuff you saw on another show that you could reach out because you know the creative director on that show. Like, hey, how'd you guys do this? Yeah. Um, stuff like that. And, you know, that's, yeah, it's, it's always evolving and you're always trying to push the envelope just a little bit more. Um, and, and right now it's like, you know, how we're thinking of ways, okay, how do we use stuff that exists for live entertainment? but we use it in a completely different way so that, you know, we, we get something different out of it and something like really cool. That's cool. So a lot of that has to start probably from just a, an inherent curiosity that's part of your personality and part of what gets you excited. Like talk about just that in terms of what motivates you to be and to stay curious. Yeah. I'd say like as much as like, um, like I would, I would call this my job as, as well as like my hobby and passion. Um, like to me, it's not really a job. It's like, if, if I wasn't doing it for a job, then I would still be doing it somewhere. Um, just because it, it is like one of the most interesting things to me. And like, I, I always like researching and learning and seeing what's coming out and how we can, you know, adapt and change and all this kind of like kind of stuff. And I think I've been like that since, you know, using like Chinese LED PARs and uh, like youth group all the way through, like, you know, using the, the first time I used like a real like concert light would be like a max 600, you know, on like a strand console. <laughs> and then, you know, you learn, you learn all the, like how to do it on all of that stuff. And then you get behind like an MA and you're like, well, like, okay, now I can really like, do some like creative things here. That's very cool. Um, Something too, though, I, I saw in you, how old were you when we met? Like 20, you were probably 21 or so. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. So what I saw was you're just a brilliant guy. And I think you have some God given skills that have helped you. Like we were, we had an MA console and we're doing, stuff with media servers and pixel mapping lights. And I'm saying things that I don't understand right now, but (laughs) not a lot of, it was, I guess the beginning of that, but you were showing up every day going, Oh, here's how to do this. So it was like, I'm assuming you were going home on YouTube or looking online or calling people going, how do we get these, this led tape to do this thing? Cause you were coming in with ideas like, Hey, what if we try this? And I was going, wow, you just exceeded what my expectations were when I was thinking, okay, for this student conference, let's let's do this. And then you were going three steps ahead and you were like, well, what about this? 
So that was something I saw in you was like, you you were coming in every day having learned something new. Yeah, I think a a lot of that too is like, I watch a lot of shows and it's just like seeing, like back then it was like, okay, how are the big shows doing it? And how are the, how are they using that tech? And then how can we incorporate that into, you know, church and youth conferences to bring the same like amount of energy, um, but, uh, like, you know, obviously you can't have the same tools. So it's like, <laughs> how do we right. bring that look, but with different tools? Yeah. And with PVC pipe and Chinese LED tape. Was that yeah, the exactly. Thrive Conference? Yeah. That had the Maroon 5? Yeah, Maroon Thrive. Yeah, totally. Cool. Like, unleash one. Yeah, I, I remember this. I supplied the tape for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and Madrix. Yeah. yeah. And stuff. I'm sure I was yeah. one of your phone calls. <laughs> yeah. I remember sitting on the phone with you going, um, I actually don't know, but I think it'll do that. So good luck. So, yeah. Yeah. I think we can do I saw a video somewhere of it could do that. I ran across a picture of that show in uh the other day. That was a good looking one. Oh, it it the picture was good, but if you saw those things up close, they were like oh, man. uneven, falling apart, they're all cockeyed. I mean But nobody sees it up close. And I think that's, don't get within ten feet of them. Oh, it was terrible. This is a pet peeve of mine, especially in church design. Is like, you know, and and you know, Brian, maybe you can even speak into this on for the events you're doing now. But it's so often that once you see something in fluorescent light or like work light, and you're within five feet of it, you're like, that looks horrible. You go into show light, you go thirty feet away, and it looks amazing. And so often, I think, especially in church world, we spend a lot of time and resource trying to make it look good up close when nobody's going to see it up close. Yeah, and that's something like I will say that that's something that we do for the big tours is in the design, we incorporate enough stuff with correct placement to make sure that we never have to turn on the arena house lights in between acts or so from the second someone walks into that room, there is no arena house lights that will ever turn on until the very end of the show. Yeah. Because we don't want people, we don't want to give away anything. We don't want people looking up, like, you know, if all of a sudden all the arena lights turn on and everyone's like, oh, there's a bunch of, you know, hidden drops up there. Like, yeah, you're controlling the environment from the moment they walk in. Yeah. You know? I think that's another thing that's often missed in, in our part of the industry is people don't realize the experience starts the second someone sets foot in that room, not yeah, exactly. once the actual event starts. Yeah, it's like, I don't want the same, I don't want them feeling like, you know, they're walking into a basketball game when they're walking into a, a show. That's good. Right. Because we know house lights are the same in all arenas, so you can totally rely on that working the same way every, every stop, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. It's And even those new like LED marquees that are like double stacked all the way around the arena, they get so bright. You can yeah. see everything. That is the house lights. It, it is. In our arena in Sacramento, there, yeah. there aren't any house lights. They just use the LED. But then they they forgot to put lighting on the aisles, so there's no lighting installed in the steps. They for, yeah. they literally forgot, and they've put Lecos with barn doors in oh, the yeah. ceiling to light up the aisles. That's so many. That was part of my my daily thing on on, on Timberlake. Like I don't know if you saw the show, but there was you know it was basically screens from end to end, and arenas would have the Lecos, but some of them you know have fallen over the year or whatever. So all of a sudden, like we turn all the lights off and we leave their aisle lights on, and there's just cross shots of Lecos going through all the screens. <laughs> we'd have to send someone up to like you know fix them okay so backtrack a little so we just talked a lot about how 
you know, we're look, you were looking at what are these big shows doing when you were working in a lot of church stuff, small church stuff. Yeah. Well, now you're working for the top events in the world and there's not really anything above you necessarily to get inspired by. So how do you stay inspired and the rest of the designers at Fireplay on bringing new ideas? I think it's, you know, a lot of what I look to now is um, like artists, not like music artists, but like physical, like, you know, paintings and sculptures and um, stuff like that is like, you know, those artists are, you know, breaking the mold of like, you know, oh, here's some like interesting shapes that like spark ideas and, you know, how, or like, you know, studying like light and shadows and, uh, a lot of a lot of these artists now are starting to use like LED walls, like laying at weird angles and like all this kind of stuff. So that's kind of where I do a lot of like looking now, just because it is interesting to me, and like I, I do think it's really cool. And um, and I do I still look at other shows, and I learn from little shows because you know people are are doing stuff in little shows to make it feel super big and you're like oh how did they do that like that looks really cool okay daniel i'm taking all the questions here sorry it's all right i'm saving mine up well you you just like teed one up you teed one up big time um using not a lot of stuff to make stuff look big i mean every church guy wants to know how to do that so like practically maybe you and daniel give some advice here what can churches do tangibly to pull something like that off a lot of it for me is like I'll give an example. Um, when I was working at the church in El Dorado Hills, um, we had uh, Tony Franzen come in. And never, never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, never heard of him. <laughs> never, never heard of that guy. Um, who is, you know, one of one of my. I would give, I would call him a strong mentor of mine now. Um, but he came in and using the same, like we didn't bring in anything extra. We didn't, you know, we used the same stuff we had just by changing the placement and doing like smart placement of fixtures and like using them in different ways that we hadn't thought about yet. He created something that was, that looked four times as big with the same amount of stuff just from, you know, smart placement and like thinking about, okay, you know, if I place this one light here, how am I going to use it? Mm -hmm. And that was such a big like learning thing to me is like, when I saw him do that, I was like, Whoa, like, okay. So placement is like a very big thing. I think I may have talked about this in our, actually in our first podcast we did too, but uh, a trick and actually it's, it's amazing how small this business is. This is one I learned from Scott Moore, who is a guy that Tony and I have both worked with over the years. Um, you know, when you define the boundaries of your space, it makes it look small. You know, when you have black backgrounds and make it where you can't tell where things stop and start, then it, the, your mind fills that in as, as infinite or at least larger space than it actually is. You know, what that means practically is dark backgrounds, you know, with lit things in front of it. So, um, you know, one of the first things we did at Church of the Move when, when I got there was, you know, paint the back of the stage black because you want to make it where the eye disappears and then you start layering things in front of that. And that's the other big part of it. There's a a saying Scott had of, um, he intentionally made this sound simple. So that kind of makes you think like, is he serious? (laughs) <laughs> depth is depth is created by putting one thing in front of another, and it's hmm. true. And, and <laughs> the thing is, you that's it's simple, but it's a hundred percent accurate. You, you know, and it doesn't have to be 
you know, 20 feet in between items. If you put things three feet apart and then put black space around it, you're got your brain's just going to fill that in. It's like, well, you know, it's, I can't tell if it's three feet or 30 feet. Another big thing is uh, when, you know, when using LED walls, so many people make their content where it's edge to edge. Well, as, as soon as you do that, you can tell what the boundaries of the LED wall are and your, your brain creates that structure and goes, oh, there's the edge, there's the edge, here's, here's the size. When you're using content that has negative space in it, your brain doesn't know. You know, it's just, I see things moving around up there. I don't know actually where the LED wall stops at. That's a, you know, that's been a, my, definitely that trick right there has been my most used for making things feel bigger than they are. That's really good. So everybody who's listening, hit pause and then rewind about 90 seconds and re-listen to what Daniel just said and take notes because those five things <laughs> yeah. could be a game changer for a lot of your church designs. That's, that's gold. Awesome. You know, in our, uh, our first, I don't know, 20 podcasts or so, we had this moment called uh, Soapbox where Jeff or Stone or I would pick a topic that we were like, you know, disturbed about and, and like <laughs> churches need to stop doing this. Yeah, we need to reinstitute the, the soapbox. Okay, so Brian, if there's something that you see churches doing that you're like, for the love, please stop doing this. Like, what would it be? And it's okay to like cut loose here and actually rant. It's hard because I've I've had the luxury of working in churches that value production, so it's it's uh, it's hard. Um, You're not on enough Facebook groups, then. That's your problem. <laughs> I've I've actively tried to get rid of those. Um, I would say like never never think that uh, just because you don't have the right gear doesn't mean you can't come up with something cool. Yeah, don't be limited by just because oh I don't have an MA that the, that means I can't do. I can't do this. It's like you touched on that a second ago, and this is a—I don't know if "pet peeve" is the right word, but it's definitely something that I'm passionate about. You talked about how some of the first movers you used were were Mac 600s, and I, I mean, I remember when those came out. So I don't know exactly when you used them, but based on your age, I imagine any you used were probably about ten years old at that point. Yeah, probably. So probably getting pretty worn out, and you're running it on a strand console, which. For those that don't know, you know, there hasn't ever really been a strand console made that's definitely good for running moving lights off of. The point you're making there is that you took the tools that are in front of you and just figured out how to make them work. And I think so often we've got these, uh, people are probably getting sick of me talking about this. We get these young guys in our market that feel like if they don't have an MA3, they don't have the new latest moving lights. Wait, there's that, a third one? <laughs> what? <laughs> but it still runs MA2 software, so you're good. Exactly. For now, I think they finally made the curve. I need to get up to speed on that. Yeah. What a sham. <laughs> sham mockery. They think if they don't have those things, people aren't going to come to Jesus. And I, this is something I've preached about before is I'm actually thankful for the, for the first basically decade of, of me getting into this. Um, I didn't have the right tools. It's learning how to do, you know, with, with whatever's in front of you and make the best out of it. I feel like it's actually what made me good at, at what I do now. I kind of feel like that's what you were just saying. Totally. Yeah, it's like I always wanted to make like a video of like, you know, okay, time code's running off of this VCR player. And then, you know, content is running off another VCR player that's running to like a, you know, it's just like, it's not, it's not about what you have. It's about how you use it. And Exactly. Uh, I'll help you make that video. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm down. Let's do it. I still have a VCR. I'll send out. Yeah, Daniel and I are the only ones old enough to still have a VCR. So for those of you who don't know what that is, <laughs> it's a toaster-looking device that actually held videotapes that you would use to watch uh, movies on. So I, I literally still have one that I won't let my wife throw away because I've got some tapes of like my high school plays that I did. And I'm like, no, I mean, I'm still doing this for a living. That's valuable. That's marketing. We need to hold on to that. And then I'll watch yeah. them and go, oh, I don't want anybody to ever see this, but okay. But yeah, let's not lose the point that, you know, part of, I think for all of us, part of our skill and the reason we're good at what we do is because all of us at one point or another, were using inferior tools to get good results. And just that exercise alone is worthwhile because you have to be creative. You have to problem solve. You have to... Um, work around you have to find the the straight line around you know maybe something that's broken and so um it's so useful Mm -hmm. and i don't want people to miss how that can help you know foster creativity and you know the ability to to really kind of make something out of nothing so it's a great point it, it helps you too like you know speaking from outside of the the church world, it it helps you to design within a constraint and design within a budget Mm -hmm. where, you know, there's a lot of people in our world that like, they can't get their head around like, like that just concept of like, okay, this is the budget. I need to stay within this, you know, and it's hard for a decent amount of people. Are you saying even the Super Bowl halftime show has constraints? The Super Bowl halftime show, there there is constraints. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the most constraints, right? It's like the most watched in, live entertainment event ever, and it has some of the most constraints. Like on and off the field in a certain amount of time. Yeah. Of course, there's still going to be a budget. It's not going to be an endless bank account you're tapping into. Yeah, and, and depends a lot of it depends on the the building too, and like. You know, if you want to use pyro, you have to make sure that the building can evacuate the pyro smoke within a certain amount of time hmm. because there can't be any smoke for the broadcast. Because hmm. those video guys get so pissed they get about everything. They do not like that. <laughs> Pepsi gets so mad if their logo has smoke in front of it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what I'm trying to explain to people a lot when we get in budget conversations about church projects is every project still has a budget and everyone's always bumping into that budget. Just just add zeros to it. Yeah. You, know, you may have more money, but you also have bigger problems to solve. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, you said something earlier that's interesting too about partnering with an artist on a design and not showing them a design. Mm-hmm. I feel like when you said that, I thought, man, that's something we can learn because it feels like to me, production directors and church staff will come up with designs and just show their senior pastor or their worship creative guys go, okay, here's the three options or here's two options. And let me interject before you start, Brian, because I'd love to, I want to hear your response to this too, but it also goes the other way. There's been so many times when I've had worship leaders and pastors go, I don't know, you come up with something. I'm going, this event is not my vision. I'm not the one that came up with this. I don't know what you're trying to say. Tell me what you're trying to communicate to people and then we'll work on a design. But all right. No, I'd say, yeah, that's, it, it, you, you just get a much better result on both sides because it, it feels like, you know, for, for them, they're not just, you know, in front of something that they didn't have any involvement with. Um, 
And for us, it's like, okay, they're, they're as invested in this as we are. Absolutely. That was always the great thing at COTM is, you know, Witt, the creative director at the time, um, I mean, he was as involved with the designs as I was, and it was his heart, his passion in it, you know, it very much matched his vision. And it was still sometimes very hard to get to that. Like, in, you know, and I don't know if you'd say this as, as well, Brian, it'd probably be a lot easier for you guys if you just did the design and didn't have to go back and forth with the artist, but the end results would not be nearly as good if that was yeah. the case. And it, and it's, it's a comfort level for them too, because we want them to be comfortable in front of it. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're not comfortable in front of it, they're, they're going to walk out and feel awkward and weird. Absolutely. And that instantly translates to the audience. So I want to have my, my soapbox moment here. Go for it. Um, we'll even supply background music. So the, uh, you know, a lot of, of church events, um, you know, especially larger ones, the scale of those is growing, growing, growing. We're, we're, we're putting together some pretty massive projects. Um, you know, that I would say definitely com- kind of compete with the scale of not necessarily a Timberlake tour, but probably some of the country music tours you guys do as far as scales of equipment and complexity. Can you kind of talk about the lead time and, you know, design phase of the project and, and kind of, you know, if you're going to put a, a tour out, you know, a summer shed tour with Thomas Rhett or something like that, you know, then it's going to start on, you know, June 1st. How far out do you guys start? What does that whole process look like? What is the, you know, the, from initial conversations to, you know, sending out the, the, the gear on the first show, what is that process like and what's the length of time involved there? Yeah. So for like TR, for example, like it, a lot of it also depends on like how long they like to rehearse. So like TR is usually like a two week rehearsal. Um, okay. So we're we're out right rehearsals? there. We're done. <laughs> it's over. Can't, but, can't compare this anymore. Our rehearsals we, are two hours before doors. Yeah, yeah. But we're doing, we're doing the same show, you know, for a hundred and whatever times. Um, I thought we were doing a line check in ears while doors were open. I didn't go. think we were actually rehearsing. <laughs> there <you go>. Exactly. <laughs> All right. um, but that's just, you know, learning choreography and a bunch of other stuff. Um, but, I, you know, we try to be at least like design done, um, you know, done to vendors like three months ahead of time. Two vendors. So, and, and for the people that may not understand some of this terminology, so, you know, the, for you guys, the vendor would be the company supplying all the lighting and production equipment, a four wall, a Christie lights and upstaging. Yep. So three months ahead of time before the show, you've got a full design and gear package list yep. to them. That's where we like to be. You know, obviously, uh, if the back and forth uh, is longer then that, you know, that time gets eaten into. But that gives the vendor ample time to source everything, build the kit, prep the kit get the crew that's going to tour with the kit familiar and ready. So that way, when you do show up to rehearsals, it's, it's already pretty thought through and done. So you're not wasting any time, you know, making looms or doing any of that. And you're not learning how to use Madrix on May 31st is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So all that stuff is, all that stuff is like thought through. So, okay. So that's March 1st. So three months before June 1st, all of that would be submitted. Now, is that including concepts for video, backgrounds, lyric stuff? Is that done by then also? Uh, no, that that's usually... So that's like a larger um, creative direction conversation that we that we keep in the... We keep on going through two okay. rehearsals, basically. So we'll keep like a, a show book, right? It's like, yeah. 
okay, here's the proposed set list. Here's okay. Wait, are... so wait, there, <laughs> hold on. There's another one. <laughs> yeah. So when do you get the set list? Um, ideally, like finalized set list is done when rehearsals start. Right. So two so, weeks before the event. And but in our world, like the band would be rehearsing for you know two weeks before that, just in in a band rehearsal space. Right. And if it's if the tour is going to be 20 songs, they're probably rehearsing 30 and they're going to yep. whittle that down. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, they have the music director there. So changing up the arrangements and adding, you know, new parts. And, OK, this person that's been playing this part is going to not play this part now. And it's going to yeah. change the sound. Wait, so it's not, so you know, they, they figured that out ahead of time, not during the event. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, okay. we tried yeah, to make sure I'm following here. Like there is still a lot of changes during rehearsals. Like. A lot, sure, but, you're, but, but you're changing from an existing plan. Yeah. You're not, you're not making the plan in rehearsals. Is yeah. We always try to go on the that. plan. Yeah. Here's yeah. what's happening right now. Someone's on their iPhone forwarding this podcast to their <laughs> creative person and saying, Hey, if Thomas Rhett does this. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, no, and that's the way I, I wanted to, to preface this by talking about scale, because that's honestly, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to come off you know, complaining, but one of the major issues I see starting to happen in our market being those of us that work primarily in the church market is the complexity is growing, but the things, the timeline isn't getting pushed out. You know, I'm not even going to complain about budgets not growing. I enjoy, you know, having to try and make something happen with not enough of whatever, um, you know, except for maybe time. Time's the one that really gets us some time because there's, you know, you talked to, you said something a minute ago about giving vendors time to source things. You know, this is something where I don't, I don't think a lot of people understand when you're dealing with a purely like creative artistic medium. So you're say that you're in After Effects generating something. It takes you time to do that, but you don't have to go to the store and buy more ink for After Effects. You know, you don't have to, you know, buy lumber to create this thing in After Effects. It's all digital. For those that work in the, the medium of the real world, truss, lights, cable, custom set pieces, whatever, there's just time that, you know, is associated with getting this done that sometimes it just feels like, you know, those that don't actually work in production don't get that time that we have to source things. We have to ship things. We have to, you know, it, stuff has to ship in from China. It has to come across on a boat. It has to come across on a plane. It has to get here. We have to, you know, learn it, work with it. Um, so that's, you know, that's definitely something I'm feeling starting to happen and why I'm, I'm harping on some of this. I don't want to keep dwelling on, on this specific topic, but uh, I think this will, hearing some of this will be very valuable to a lot of people. You've talked about how um, you get designs and, and everything to vendors three months ahead of time. Now, prior to that, like how far out is the design process usually? Um, so from there, like it, it usually takes us for like the country scale show, it usually takes us about, you know, from initial like, talking with the artists through mm-hmm. concepts, through plots and stuff is that's about two, two ish months, three months. Okay. And you guys, so you'll have an initial conversation and then you come back with some visuals to show the artist, uh, you know, renderings or concepts of what the stage would look like yep. for the, for kind of the, the nuts and bolts people. What are you guys using right now for that mainly? Is it WYSIWYGs and 4D? Uh, so it's Vectorworks. a combination of so Vectorworks, Cinema 4D, and um, Photoshop. Awesome to deliver that. And what was what's typical like amount of revisions you would do on average for a highly creative personality? 
Oh, highly, highly creative. Um, I would say, I say that because like, you know, you're presenting these things to artists, right? They're, they're creatives. So how many revisions or design concepts is like, uh, it's about average to do 10 or 20. Yeah. I would say, you know, 10 is a pretty safe number. Like you have the outliers where you're at, you know, revision 35. Yeah. Um, but 10, 10 is pretty safe across most. And I think that's more than what we see churches do. I, I feel like lighting guys and um, production directors will show a pastor three options and it's like, pick one and it's not changing. Or if they ask, well, can we change this? It's like, uh, well, I drew it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a double-edged sword there. I know, you know, I've seen that go both ways where it's an issue with the, the production guys having a bad attitude about it and going, wait, what? You don't, you don't love my thing and taking it personally. And I've also, you know, I've experienced it in situations where it's like, yes, I would love to make re- uh, revisions. We are 10 days from the event. We, we have to go, we have to pick something. We're out of time. Yeah. Um, touching on something else you said there, you talked about the, the tools you guys use. Um, for anybody listening to, I, I kind of want to, to respond to that and go, not every church out there needs to go buy Vectorworks and Cinema 4D and no. um, Photoshop. And in fact, probably none do. Um, even as a company that makes, you know, my company, we don't use all that anymore because we kind of had to look at it from a budget standpoint and go, what is the most cost-effective way for us to do this? And we've we've actually settled down to where we just use WYSIWYG. But the point being, they need to use something where they can create a visual ahead of time where people uh, up the rung, whether it be worship leader, pastor, whoever, can get an idea of what the end result is going to look like so that you can all get on the same page together and all be in agreement and not, you know, once you, everybody's done all this work and spent all this money to put something up, have pastor or worship leader walk in the room and go, oh, well, that's not what I thought you described to me, you know? Yeah. And, you know, Photoshop works great for that. Google SketchUp is a free or at least cheap program that actually works really good mm-hmm. for that, we found. Uh, and then there's a ton of other options depending on the, you know, ability you want to have built in there. I think the takeaway here is that partnership is important, Mm -hmm. that getting everybody on the same page early in the process is important. Coming up with a specific list of questions that you can use as a filter as a team would be a great way to develop that partnership and vision so that we're not wasting time, that we're actually stewarding our resources well and coming up with stuff that's actually creative. So are there any specific questions that you could say to a production director? Hey, here's what you need to clarify in the process. Or to a pastor mm-hmm. who might be listening to go, gosh, if you if you said this to your tech team, they could actually help you respond better. Are there any things like that that come to mind? No, I would, you know, my biggest thing is just having everyone that's going to be involved on the same page as early as possible because then you get everyone's um you know there might be someone on the team who's thinking of something that i'm just completely not and that immediately like just having that conversation and getting everyone on the same page will eliminate four problems that you might have during load-in and then it's not a last minute gear rush fix or it's not a last minute like oh we have to change this because of this you know, it might be the the quiet person in the corner who is thinking about this one thing that if they if they get the option to to voice their opinion or, you know, 
say, Hey, here's the plan. What do you guys think? Like you might get like a, a solve a headache early in the process rather than last minute. Yeah. I've heard Daniel ask this question a lot. You know, we'll be in an event somewhere in some other city and somebody's given some feedback and Daniel will say something to the extent of, Hey, is there anyone else that is going to see this or be a part of this that needs to be a part of the, uh, the process here? And what he's saying is, Hey, we can all decide this right now, but two days from now, is someone else with some more authority going to come in and say they, they like or don't like something? Because mm-hmm. I want to talk to them. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. I feel like you yeah. said it just now a lot nicer than I normally say it, but maybe it's just I'm, I'm hearing just trying to thinking inside. <laughs> I'm just trying to help you out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Making me look good. We can send you a recording of that, and you can just play it back on your phone in front of them. Perfect. I'll just call you and hand you the phone. And yeah. Hey, say, that, say that thing. Daniel really means this. Yeah. That's it. I just need an interpreter. I'm not a jerk. It just comes out that way. Um, <laughs> or was I'm not a jerk. I was just born that way. Um, you've, you've touched on this a little bit. You know, when we talked a few days ago on the phone, we, I kind of mentioned this was going to be one of my big things I wanted to um, hear from you. you. You've hit this a little bit a couple times, but um, I'd love to hear... What things did you learn and do while working with churches before you started working with fire play and bigger events that you still use now and you feel like were valuable, valuable lessons you learned? You kind of talked about having to do, you know, a lot with not enough at churches. That's something that's, that's affected you today. Is there anything else with that? And then also in, in reverse, are there things that you have learned since working with the bigger events to go, golly, I, I wish we'd known that back in the day. I wish we did it that way back in the day. Yeah, I'd say like the biggest thing that I've taken from church to the big shows is like I, I want to be an aid in the experience. I don't want to distract from the experience, right? So like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just I don't want this constant strobe light to be happening that's taking away from you know the song. Like, you have to like pick and choose your moments, and I think that's where you you learn a lot of like that. In, mm-hmm. Um, the church world versus like, you know, once you get up to the bigger shows, you have all the toys. It's like, Oh, I want to use all the, you know, I want these JDC ones in extreme mode and, you know, they can, (laughs) they can blind you for six days. And like, you know, you, you pick and choose your moments. And then, you know, when you do hit that moment, it's way more impactful than that, that thing just running the whole show Mm -hmm. just because you can. And then, you know, going backwards, I would, I would just have to say it's the, it's the planning part of it mm-hmm. that in the, in the meeting part of like for, for JT, for example, it's like we had a big production meeting almost every couple of days in rehearsals. I was like, okay, what have we learned? What are we going to change? Like, you know, how does this affect load in? How does this affect load out with this change? Um, you know, if we move this five feet this way, like, how does that help everyone? Like, does that shave an hour off of the video guy's time? Does that shave an hour off the lighting guy's time? You guys um, communicate between departments? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's that is a it's, it's a revolutionary idea. Right crucial, there. crucial part to that whole thing working is you, you don't all want to be butting heads because then you're all going to have a long day. So, so I, I may be putting words in your mouth, but am I hearing that the video guys talk to the lighting guys and the lighting guys talk to the video guys and you're all working towards the same end goals? Is that what I'm understanding? Oh, yeah. That's that's what Re- we revolutionary. Have to do. <laughs> that's how you get a you know 26 truck show in start loading at 8 a.m and you're sound checking by one exactly um 
last one I've got, and then this is something I feel like you and I have talked about before, maybe even last time we got to hang out in Sacramento together. Um, you, uh, we're seeing something neat happen now, you know, that when I came up through this business, guys who worked at churches were usually the ones that, that couldn't cut it in other parts of the market. And, and I'm not, that's not a slight at anybody. Well, I take it, it was either that or it was because you had a specific passion in your heart for churches. And that's, you know, that it, it's, it was definitely both. Um, and we're seeing something neat happen. We're starting to see guys that come up in churches now launch out into the mainstream market. You know, there's you, there's, there's Alec, you know, there's, there's several others. Um, you know, I feel like Chase is probably about to do that some. Um, and it's not just that, it's almost like you guys are starting to get sought after. What is it about that, that, that you're finding it makes people want to pull what, what, what traits is it the guys who came up in churches have that is causing companies like Fireplay to w- want you to be on the team? Um, I mean, I can just speak for what, like, you know, I get told is that um, a lot of it is, you know, the your personality and how mm-hmm. you manage yourself and, you know, coming across as, you know, like, hey, like, you know, we're all trying to do the same thing here. Like, I'm not trying to put my ego in it. I'm not trying to be rude or mean. Um, like, I just want to do the coolest show. Yep. You, you know, you've learned to work as a team player. You know, you, you, like you're saying, you've, you've learned that everyone has to rally behind a central goal. You, you've learned to be respectful and just pleasant to be around. You know, that's where, you know, it's not that everybody that comes from the, the church market, I think has that, but I definitely find more guys like that just because of, you know, kind of the way they're taught coming up through church. You know, I find more guys like that um, working with, with church events than I do sometimes in out and on church events. You know, I wanted to hit on that topic because I wanted to stress that with guys is you can, most people can be taught whatever they need to know. You know, some, we all have our, some of our own innate gifts that we you know develop and are, are, are innocent part of us. But when it comes to the technology aspect of it, I'm never going to hire anyone from my company because of what console they know how to use or what software they know how to use. I can teach them all those things or have someone else teach them all those things. I'm going to hire them based on their attitude you know, and just 100%. their character. And I feel like that's what we're seeing start to happen a lot is we're, we're, we're launching these guys out of the church market that now have both amazing character and high technical ability and great work ethic. Cause you know, we're doing shows. I know people, some people like that term, but we're doing shows 52 weeks a year. Yeah. It's like, I, I can't even tell you how many times last year I got the question, Hey, do you, do you have another Alec that, you know, like, can you, can you like find someone and it's just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, but you know, it's all about, it's all about the attitude and how they can handle themselves under pressure and stress. And like, that's the big, that's the big ticket item right there. Absolutely. Attitude. That's awesome. Well, Brian, it's been such a great pleasure to talk to you. And I know that all of our listeners are going to really just get so much gold and wisdom from what you brought and the advice that you've given. So Thanks for being here with us today. Well, and we're just, it's always great to hear from guys who are um, out there doing it. But like Daniel said, have a heart for the church and have um, just the character and sort of the fruit spiritually that that has been a part of forming all of what you do, which is which is awesome. So thanks for being a part of this conversation. Yeah. And I'll say like, you know, one of my most fun tours I ever did was with Jesus Culture and church stuff. Like 
mm-hmm. just because it is it's such a big family and it's, it's just just so fun. And I would you know I would do any of those in a heartbeat, even if you don't get a set list ever. <laughs> but that's what see what you called it. That's what makes it fun, right? Because then you're like, okay, that's why I've started getting hired for those events, the Jesus cultures and the yeah. Bethels. Because I go, no, I don't need a set list. We're good to go. Let's just roll. No, yeah, yeah. You just make what you need to make, and you know what you need to use, and you just go for it. But I, the you, the question you asked Daniel, like, what is it about you guys that are getting called up to do this big stuff? It's because you're not a jerk. It's because you are fun to hang out with. You know, it's yeah. not because you know how to use an MA5. It's it's not. It's because you guys are so fun to hang out with and it's fun to be around. Hmm. Like if you're going to be on the road with somebody for 18 months and you have to be on the phone with an artist talking about their show every night or they want to be around people that are fun to be around. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you, yeah. When you get to those like, you know, artists, artists, it's just like, you know, they don't want someone who's going to walk in and, you know, either insert their ego or, you know, be, starstruck it's like okay like it's just a normal person well man that was great i loved the insight that brian brought um just about how to think about design and have good conversations and partner with leadership and artists on how to execute a creative plan really well i know he's such a good dude you know yeah you know we mentioned that before of like what is it about guys like him and Alec and you know that are getting the opportunities they have but they're just such good guys you know I was looking back through my text messages from Brian and it's like talking about hanging out and happy birthdays to each other and just random stuff it's not about the latest and greatest lasers and lights it's yeah it's just good people well anytime that I was on any tour you know and having to decide about personnel or if if we had any input on who to bring onto the team or whatever. It was never about their skill level primarily. It was always about how are they gonna be to hang out with and how are they gonna be under stress and what kind of person are they gonna be when we're under the gun? Yeah, the skill is important, but man, it's not what's most important. And I think that continues to come up over and over again in these conversations. And man, I know that um, a lot of guys that serve in church world can really learn a lot just by applying those simple things for sure well great episode again jeff well done well enjoy your brisket i think it's almost ready for the butcher paper so go wrap it up 171 nine more degrees it's getting wrapped oh man it's like you know waiting for christmas morning it's awesome (laughs) all right see you later see you next time